but here's mm-hmm. okay. So here's a funny story. I was <laughs> zooming with um, my friend Shrey and Kyle from seminary because I'm part right. of their wedding party. Mm-hmm. And I was zooming on my phone, which I don't usually do. And I must have hit, I must have muted myself with like my finger because uh-huh. I started, I started trying to talk and they all went, Elise, you're, you're, you're on, on mute. mute. <laughs> and I was so pissed. I was like, you're like I've got a podcast with that very I, theme. Well, it's, it was really cute too, because clearly my friend Sheree has been listening and she was like, she said something about the podcast and she was just like, you have a podcast called that. Like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh God, I'm the boomer. (laughs) And it happened like twice. I was so mad. Oh no, that is bad then. Um, It was pretty bad. So today with the homelessness topic, Mm -hmm. I, um, I thought that it might be helpful as my suggestions because I made a list. Oh, Jesus. So on my list, um, well, yeah, hey, how about we, can... we just, how about we just like start and we can start with you telling me what you want to do. Cause that typically sparks conversation. That would be good to be in the podcast anyway. <laughs> do you want to just do that? God forbid we should plan. The right. point is for it to be a natural conversation. <laughs> I like I plan too. I just don't write it down. Well, I do because. You know, I want to make sure that I don't leave something out. You know how it goes. You know, you jibber jabber and you talk about stuff. And then you're like, after it's all over, you say to yourself, oh, man, I wanted to make that one point that, you know, just kind of got carried away. That's how I work anyway. Well, that's why we have more episodes to come so that you can be like, hey, I meant to say it the last time, blah, blah, blah. But like if you when you get so stressed about including everything you want, that ends up like. We're having a good flow. And then you're like, so I, I do want to make sure that we, we cover this one thing. What do you think about that? And I'm just like, I don't know. It's like apples and oranges. So what we were talking about, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. I know. My final point is my final point. What I want you all to walk away with. And then we talk for like 20 more minutes. Away. Yeah. Um, your homework for today. <laughs> Oh, that was my uh, last thing. Homework. No, just kidding. Oh, that would have been pretty funny. <laughs> oh, hey, man. People okay. are people are kind of intrigued when I describe what we're trying to do as talking about different generations being differently wise. That seems to click with people. What man, that that's <laughs> you are gonna live and die by that damn differently wise thing. <laughs> So I like funny. it. No matter what we're doing, like make sure we say differently wise. I already did. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Notice how I snuck it right in there. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Got it. Like people are really intrigued by this differently wise. It needs to be in all the publications differently wise. <laughs> <laughs> now the challenge is on i'm gonna put it in whenever i can all right everybody we have a you're on mute drinking game every time (laughs) pastor mary says differently wise take a shot take a shot it could be of your insure milkshake or it could be of some tequila (laughs) either way (laughs) 
if any of our under 21 listeners are wanting to play this game, I recommend ginger ale. <laughs> oh, the challenge is on. We should. Here, let me get a post-it note out so I can keep track of how often you say. Well, I've already said it, what, three times? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we're at three, so people should be feeling pretty okay, tipsy by now. Already, yeah. So, get it. Uh, Get it going, people. And actually, I'm drinking Gatorade. You've got some Zero. Gatorade. That's right. Rebounding from your illness. That's right. Your very COVID-like illness that I was not very happy strange about. strange COVID-like illness. Goodness gracious. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Well, right, we're already... Shall we, shall we begin? We should. We're already rolling, so I just want to say, hey, everyone, and welcome to episode four of You're on Mute. Uh, Pastor Mary has some plans for our topics of discussion today. I do. Mom, mom, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell the good folks out there what you would like to cover today? <laughs> okay. <laughs> for our lecture series today, <laughs> for series well, four. we were, at least, and I decided that, um, for episode four, oh, and here goes the, the clock chiming in the dining room. All right. Okay. Stop, stop talking. Oh, did it finish? Yeah, it's been finished while I was talking. Oh, well, I barely heard it, so that's cool. Oh, that's good. All right. So for episode four, we thought we would talk about ministry with homeless neighbors. And part of that is because um, working with homeless institutions and homeless people is something that I've been doing for a really long time. And Elise has started doing it in Chattanooga, but in a different sort of way. Um, I've dealt mostly with um, agencies and institutions that seek to come together with resources to um, house homeless people, provide them with resources, and then try to get them into, um, into permanent housing as much as possible. And Elise is more on the outreach side, which uh, she can describe for us, but the outreach side um, mainly goes out to where the homeless are camped out and living and just mm-hmm. tries to make sure that they're okay and that they have resources and that they know where to go if they want to go to a shelter or they want something else. So she's really very much, um, I mean, I feel like I'm in the trenches with what I'm doing, but she really is. Just, <laughs> and what, just, and what, just a different kind of trench. <laughs> it's a different kind of trench and it has its different um, issues and mm-hmm. concerns. Yeah. So, um, so that was, Item number one on my list, Elise, was that we each talk about that. Um, and, because right. we're, and because we're differently wise, I think that it will show. Take a drink. Yeah. Take a drink. Um, That's number four. <laughs> the other thing, because we um, are uh, assuming that a lot of people who are listening are either church leaders or members of congregations um, or people who just want to help the homeless. Um, Should be everybody. May, not really, honey. I know, not really, but <laughs> I, I, um, that's why I that said it should. was sweet of you to say that. <laughs> it should be everybody. Everybody should care. Everybody but anyway. should care, uh, but don't necessarily. But I think um, one of the other uh, points, which is actually one, two, three, four, five on my list, is that people help in different ways, and all of those can be pretty useful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, as much as we can, you know, as in, some people just want to give money. They never want to see or touch a homeless person. 
but in their own little way, their hearts are there. And so they figure mm-hmm. out, I can write a hundred dollar check and give it to an agency and man, oh man. I mean, those agencies are grateful. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and then also, uh, I think it would be helpful to talk about because, um, what it means for you and for a congregation that you might be a part of to engage in this ministry. It has blessings and it has problems. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have to sort of, you're always having to navigate troubled waters and, um, and often feel like you are in conflict because you want to help and you're talking or preaching about helping the homeless. And then somebody shows up at your door and says, I'm homeless. Can you help me? And there may be reasons for you to say, no, mm-hmm. uh, I can't, I can't help you. No, you can't sleep in our parking lot. No, you can't build a fire outside. I mean, and um, that's really these all, these all sound very familiar uh, as as ripped from the headlines, those are uh, two the headlines of Elise's of, Trin- of Trinity Lutheran <laughs> and Pastor Elise. <laughs> well, that's yeah, true, those but are... I mean, I've also though, um, just because of where my previous congregation was located in the close to downtown uh, Columbia area, I had mm-hmm. homeless folk come by the door all the time. Oh and, yeah, and and St. Paul's and Evanston. I mean. Mm-hmm. We had a cast of regular characters that came through. We did. And sometimes so. they find out where you live and they come there too. Remember the, mm-hmm. remember the, yep. the gardening lady that carried around extremely the, dangerous looking gardening tools and yeah. an I think orange as a, jacket. I think as, <laughs> and that, and she had a knit hat on too, a bright orange knit hat. Mm. I think I called her the rake lady. It was usually a did. rake. Yeah. But, you know, she, she came uh, by our house like at midnight one time, she found out where we lived. And, but anyway, those were, those were some of the things. So why don't you talk about first, like what, what you're doing, um, the agency or the, the city group that you're dealing with and sort of like what that's like, like how you, how you do it, um, when you show up for work. Yeah. So, um, this is definitely kind of my first experience like day to day doing a lot of work in the homeless community. Um, when I was in seminary, I was the intern for a non-for-profit that, uh, did, um, it's called the Hyde Park transitional housing project. And they primarily focused on folks who were acutely homeless. So, you know, maybe a young woman got pregnant and her family kicked her out. And so not so much uh, the chronic homelessness that we might really uh, associate with homeless people, but more just like that teenager, you know, going couch to couch or, you know, the, the mother with her two small children just kind of crashing with people and jumping from hotel to hotel and things like that. So the Hyde Park Housing Project uh, was really cool. And it, it provided a year's worth of rent, uh, to their clients, but there had to be certain kind of check marks. And, uh, one of which was the client needed to either be in school or some kind of training program. Um, and then they had mentors that met with them weekly and, and the success rate of this program was pretty incredible, uh, compared to a lot of programs like it. Uh, it was like an 86% success rate success being after those clients stop getting, um, 
uh, money and support from the organization, they can sustain their housing on their own. Um, Mm -hmm. There was, there was one woman who even ended up um, kind of working her way through a paralegal program and started working at a law firm by the time she was done with this program. So it was pretty cool. Um, And then my internship out in Bend, Oregon, my congregation there focused on what they really, um, well, the the focus that they had was homelessness prevention. So doing the wood lot where they gave out, you know, stacks of wood for people to burn, uh, to stay warm during the winter. And then our incredibly low barrier um, food pantry where people could come get $200 worth of food. Uh, so things like that, where they could use their, instead of having to choose between rent and their electricity bill, you know, we would provide for, we would provide them a way to heat their house and lower their electricity bill so that they could pay both and stay in their house. So that aspect of, of homeless services is incredibly important as well. And, and people don't always, don't always associate that middle ground with mm-hmm. um, homeless services because the folks aren't quite homeless. But when you are making those choices every month between paying certain bills to try and stay in your house, you need very similar services that someone who might be on the street needs. So um, right. that was, and, a- and I know like my, the congregation that I'm serving right now, which is in a small town in South Carolina, um, you know, they have the little blessing box thing, which are becoming mm-hmm. kind of popular where they're just out there and they're stocked with canned goods and things like that. And yeah. then they have, you know, weekly, weekly food pantry. And I know that some of our folks who worked with that say, you know, a lot of people say, I know this probably doesn't look like you're helping a lot, but you giving us these two bags of groceries means everything to us, you know, oh, it yeah. gives us a whole nother meal and a half that we wouldn't normally have. So don't, mm-hmm. you know, folk don't, don't underestimate that a little bit can go a long way. Yeah, it sure can. And, and the ingenuity that a lot of these, the skills that a lot of people gain by either living in poverty or living on the street, I mean, they can stretch things in ways you wouldn't even believe. And it's sad that they have to develop those skills, but, you know, a bag and a half of groceries for folks who are food secure and housing secure might last a meal, but for, for folks who know how to stretch their resources, it could be four meals, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so the fast forward to my, my time here in Chattanooga, um, it's actually kind of, uh, random how I started working with the city. Um, I, uh, I'm a second career pastor and my first career was in sports medicine. I've, I've said that before. And, um, I just kind of started looking on part-time job websites when I got here, honestly, just looking for something really small that could engage my, um, knowledge base from sports medicine and, and being a certified athletic trainer. And I stumbled across, a, a, a job description for homeless outreach And it was a homeless outreach position with the city of Chattanooga. So city government. And it, uh, it basically described what I've come to learn is about 5% of what, (laughs) or maybe 40% of what we do, but you know, it basically was going out into the community, meeting homeless people where they are, um, providing them with kind of a hygiene bags, food, different kind of supplies they might need. Um, and basically just going around the city with other outreach workers, 
um, and finding these folks and making sure that they're okay. Um, the job is a lot more complicated than that. I've come to learn, but, you know, I kind of thought to myself, well, I would do this for free. So, um, I kind of applied on a whim and I, I did kind of have to really discern the decision because it's not super normal for a full-time pastor to have a, a second job in our denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, uh, yet <laughs> exactly. Um, and I did worry about, you know, kind of, I didn't want my co-pastor or my congregation to think that one, I wasn't grateful for the salary I was getting or two, that I was going to be take, have time taken away from them. Um, but I decided to go through with it because to me, it is 100% an extension of my ministry as one of the pastors at Trinity. Um, you know, out, outreach to the community is a part of um, the job description for the associate pastor. And so I've actually made some incredible contacts and gained priceless knowledge through this work with the city. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of a personal benefit that I, I do get a small paycheck for it. Um, it definitely helps, you know, when certain months are, are stretched thin, like when a tire randomly blows out one week and I have to spend $250 on two new tires, like that happened right. this week. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so yeah, so with my job at the city, it's part-time. Um, I go three times a week. And we, there's actually a pretty cool group of outreach workers throughout the, throughout town. We're the only ones that are government, um, employees. Everyone else works for a nonprofit. Uh, but we all have the same goal of just looking out for our people and bringing them supplies they might need, checking in on them, um, and just kind of making sure they're good. And then obviously the ultimate goal is to get them plugged into some kind of housing navigation. Uh, the, the Department of Homeless Services here in Chattanooga, there's three very distinct um, sections in this department. There's the outreach. Uh, we kind of joke that we're the redheaded stepchildren. We, we don't really fit into a lot of we're very, well, let's, I should say we're just very separated from mm-hmm. the work um, our coworkers are doing once the um, homeless folks become a client that's eligible for housing. And so we do kind of try to funnel people that we feel like kind of really have, um, you know, the, the desire, the paperwork, the potential income, um, things like that to, to get into the housing pipeline. And something I've learned a lot about um, that I really thought was just kind of a given was what's called the housing first model. Now, I just always assumed getting someone housed was always the first priority, but there are other programs that um, you'll hear me say a lot, something called high barrier or low barrier. Um, When I talk about shelters or programs, a high barrier shelter, let's say, means you have to meet certain criteria. So um, like if you're a woman or or a man, I guess they, they really won't let you stay long-term if you have any kind of record. Um, if you're using any kind of drugs, um, you know, there's just certain, uh, check marks that you have to meet for them to let you in. And then low barrier shelters are exactly what you would think they're, um, you know, they don't quite have as many requirements or prereqs, uh, to be able to stay. And so, um, the housing first program is the, the, the goal behind it is if you get people housed, 
you know, kind of the rest will come. So we're not asking people to get clean before they're housed. We're not asking them to get a job job before they're housed. We're not asking them to get healthcare before they're housed because, you know, if you think about it, um, you have to have an address to put on a job application. You have to have an address to um, get medical care, you know, a long-term medical care. They can go to the ER, but they still have to give mm-hmm. an address. I mean, we, they just kind of give the address of a shelter usually. Um, which is usually and, allowed, you know, which is usually allowed. Yeah. People doing that. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, the housing first model, I would, I would really recommend um, looking into it. If, if, how, if homeless ministry is mm-hmm. something either your church is doing, or you want to be more involved in um, kind of convincing uh, I mean, convincing people in general, something I hear a lot out in the community from, um, well, from different, a lot of different people, you know, if we, if we're kind of having to go out to a camp and let people know like, Hey, you know, there's just been a lot of noise complaints from the neighbors. Like we need you guys to move on. That's really the worst part about the outreach job with the city is having to do what we call eviction runs, um, where we have to go tell people who are already homeless that they have to move to a different area because of whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually a citizen complaint. Um, and so, and nine times out of 10, when we get a, a somebody, you know, a council person that's letting us know they got a complaint from a constituent, you know, they describe it as like, there's a huge camp behind the publics and it's causing so many issues and there's trash everywhere. And we go back there and there's like, one scattering of trash and like two people living in a tent and they're like super nice and quiet and, and they're just kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. what do you mean? Like, we're not doing anything back here, but just their presence triggers something in people. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so we've had, we've had to do those, those kind of things. We, we help clients move when they do finally get a place to go. We help get them transportation, um, to medical facilities, if they need it, we've even been known to foster pets, um, for people. Uh, cause that's one thing is, you know, a lot of these folks, their pets are, are, you know, for some people, they're their security system, they're their mental health, you know, companion. Uh-huh. Um, and a and lot so, of people might be surprised to hear that homeless folks would even have pets. Oh, I mean, we have, we have very like, numerous clients that take better care of their pets and they take care of themselves themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one and of I the mean, things, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, you know, the, the, the animal might look dirty or, or sickly mm-hmm. or whatever, but they live outside. Right. <laughs> like, like they're well, going to look a little dusty. And what I'd like to do is to say a word about how, how I'm engaged with the homeless is different from that. But then mm-hmm. I want us to get back to you and just talk about what some of those experiences are, because you, you know how it is, um, all of you, when you um, drive everywhere or mm-hmm. use public transportation everywhere, you only see certain things. Yeah. If you walk or bike from point A to point B, you see the world very differently. Mm-hmm. Even then, um, you know, when you go off trail, in an urban area of any kind, or even in a rural area, um, into into places where you would probably say, no, I shouldn't go down there. There's probably snakes back there, or 
you know, um, mm-hmm. that would just be dangerous to go mm-hmm. or, you know, cause when I went with you that time in Chattanooga and accompanied you on your outreach trip, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was climbing around with you in places that I would never ever go. I know I told you to, told you to bring your boots for a reason. (laughs) And, and there's a whole, whole different world there that a Mm -hmm. lot of people don't see, including, you know, what life is like underneath, um, overpasses, um, under bridges, you know, you just drive over Mm -hmm. those things. And the number of times that you're actually driving over somebody's home, you Mm -hmm. just don't even realize. Yeah. And, and what I'm, what I've been engaged in in Colombia for the past 15 years is, um, and this is something that I want to lift up because um, for me, the partnership that made our homeless recovery center happen, and it's the, the doing business as name of it is transitions. It's actually called the Midlands Housing Alliance, but that's too boring. So, <laughs> You know, we, we call it something else, but long story short, um, transitions came about because the town, the city council of Columbia had taken on the idea of putting together, um, a continuum of care blueprint for helping, um, homeless people in Columbia. Mm -hmm. And they had some high power people on this committee. That, yeah. that worked on it. They, the city was just supportive, supportive, supportive all along the way until the very end when they, the, the city council suddenly rejected the whole plan. And wow. this thing that looked like it was going to just be so wonderful and so creative was suddenly one September dead in the water. Hmm. And the only warming shelter that we had was getting ready to close in two months. And now we had no plan. And what ended up happening, because suddenly you have a void in leadership, like nobody's leading on homelessness now. The Mm -hmm. city council has said, nope, we're done. Mm -hmm. And so into that void stepped three entities. One was the business community, or I should say two entities. One was the business community, um, partly out of the goodness of their hearts and partly because it's not good business to have, if you're a banker, to have a couple of homeless people asleep outside the front door of your bank every morning. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also, I discovered, uh, you know, were people that really, really cared about the issue. So the business community said, we're going to step up and do something the government didn't. And then the faith community stepped up and said, how can we work with you? Mm, And obviously these corporations were the big guns, right? I mean, we as faith communities, you know, brought, you know, were able to raise like $500,000 to bring to the table. And this was an $11 million project we were looking at in terms of building transitions. Right. Eventually we got um, repaired the brokenness And then city government and county governments uh, came in and were partners as well. And so now I'm a true believer in getting things done with having local governments, whatever that might be, even if it's your small town, you know, little council, um, but 
local governments, whatever businesses and corporations you have and the faith communities coming together and saying, what are the needs in our community, big or small? What are the needs there? And how can the three of us work together to make it happen? And you can pull other, what some, some people call anchor institutions that mm-hmm. might be the local, like we have the, the big local um, health providers uh, are also good partners with us now. And sometimes the educational system can be too. But so we built, um, we actually are celebrating our 10th year uh, being open as transitions. We've helped well over 3,000 something people uh, move into permanent housing. It's awesome. And just in general have saved people's lives. I mean, in some ways that's our goal. Um, And we have just, um, just briefly, you know, we provide a number of services there. One is there's just a big day center. Like if you, if you are sleeping in the public cemetery at night that, you know, want to come in during the day and get out of the heat or get out of the cold, you can stay in there from 8.30 to 5. You can get lunch there. You can get a shower there. You can meet with healthcare providers and really do everything that Transitions provides except sleep there yeah. um, and be engaged in programs. So I'm really proud of it. And um, I served on the board for six years after it started. And then when I came back to Columbia uh, with my last um, interim, I went back to the CEO and I said, okay, I'm back in town. What can I do? What do you need? And he said, you know, we've never had a chaplain here. And I said, Mm -hmm. well, I know. And I've wondered about that. But because we're not a faith-based organization, I didn't know if maybe you didn't want to do that. And he said, yeah, I just got to have somebody that I can trust. And so I have been since the beginning of March. uh, I'm their volunteer chaplain. Mm -hmm. And so, because I can only go when I can go and uh, working around my schedule. But what I've discovered is that a lot of the clients are very open to it. If I just walk around with my Bible in my hand, that's really all I need to do sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, and people, people will come up to me and um, they'll say, you're going to do a Bible study, you're going to do a Bible study. And I'm like, I can (laughs) Um, but mostly I just have, um, uh, conversations with people, you know, they're just kind of sitting there. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking to them. It's not time for them to meet with their social worker. They're not working or what have you. A lot of people there are working though. Yeah. Um, you know, and trying to, trying to make a difference. So that's, that's a little bit that's, um, uh, that's different about what we do. And I've done all kind of volunteer stuff there too. I've, I've weeded the yard, I've painted rooms, I've cleaned out dirty cubbies mm-hmm. um, and served on the board and now serving as chaplain. So there's, you know, just a lot of stuff that, that people can do. But Lisa, yeah. why don't you tell them about our experience in Chattanooga together? <laughs> so, um, well, first I, I do want to say, you know, how crucial just having somewhere to go during the day Mm -hmm. is, you know, I think we focus so much on where are people going to sleep, but something I'm realizing in, in my outreach work is where can they just go, you know, during, during the day? I mean, most folks living on the street, finding a place to sleep is the easy part. 
you know, they can crash in a doorway, they can find mm-hmm. a patch, you know, of woods or something like that. Or some of them might even have, if, if it's more of a, you know, unused area, they can set up a tent and kind of have a makeshift campground, but it's really when they're so visible during the day that mm-hmm. people get, you know, all in a, a lot. And a lot of times it's the library, the public library. Mm-hmm. The library is to. huge. Um, in, in Chattanooga, a lot, most of the homeless services are on 11th street downtown mm-hmm. and there's a strip. It's about probably a, you know, a little less than a quarter mile long, um, where there's just people hanging out, you know, they're just there. They're on the, they're sleep, taking a nap on the sidewalk. They're, you know, waiting for lunch to be served at the community kitchen, or they're just walking around talking to their friends. Um, and you know, in the summertime, when it's so blazingly hot, I mean, tempers run high, um, people are more irritable. It's also, it can just be dangerous to be outside when it's so hot. I mean, we, we've been doing water runs recently and we are giving a case of bottled water to every person we see and they run out within three days. Right. Um, and so, you know, just having, I mean, I even think of, uh, the homeless man who's been kind of hanging out at my church it's really just the fact that he has nowhere to go during the day and he's decided to camp out on our porch. Um, but a lot of times he's actually not there at night. He goes somewhere else. Um, he's got so anyway, his spot. He's got his spot. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I actually, I think, you know, that, I, that model of transitions of, and having kind of everything in one spot is very cool. Um, and it's something that I think could be a great model for other cities. And it really does take that trifecta of public, private, and faith based, Mm -hmm. um, you know, federal grants and things like that can only get places so far. It's usually the businesses calling us saying that having homeless people in their property is a problem. And we always kind of turn around and say, well, do you want to be part of the problem or part of the solution? Mm -hmm. Um, and then also getting churches a little more engaged, whether it's, you know, financially or, you know, we've got a lot of churches in Chattanooga that they're these big old buildings from thriving in the nineties. Um, and they're barely using half their buildings now. Mm-hmm. And Trin- Trinity is one of those places, my church. And so, you know, kind of rethinking, um, how to use your space to fill in some of these gaps. Not everybody has to be a shelter. Not everybody has to be a food bank, um, but kind of trying to create some cohesive system um, and be able to tell folks where they can go for certain things. Well, Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I I think we should continue to point out is because one of the things that I've learned in in doing this for so long, both in Columbia and in Chicago, is that one way that I see um, congregations going wrong on this whole thing, not wrong as in catastrophic, but wrong as in not as helpful as it could be, Mm -hmm. is when congregations try to do stuff by themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, they've got a social ministry committee or something like that, or an outreach committee, and they're sitting around their table with their coffee and donuts and, and talking about, so we seem to have a problem with, you know, with homelessness in our town. Um, We need to help people. Um, That's good. You're right. You do need to help people, 
but then they often will come up with what they think is needed rather than Mm -hmm. checking with others like United Way or other folks in town uh, or the, the municipal outreach groups and asking them um, what's going on, what are you seeing as the problems and how can our congregation help? Mm-hmm. And that, that partnership is just so vital. Where it goes wrong is when a congregation tries to do something on their own. Um, and, and literally, I'm not making this up. These are the kind of, uh, I'll give one example of an issue in Columbia, which just kind of drove us all crazy, which is that we do have a number of faith-based groups who have decided that come hell or high water, they're going to serve hot dogs on Thursday night in Finley Park or whatever it is. And the fact is, I mean, mean, people might not believe this, but there really is plenty of plenty of feeding ministries and opportunities Mm -hmm. in our town. And you don't really need to start something else. Yeah. And what happens is uh, we had one faith-based organization that decided that they wanted to hand out chicken salad sandwiches, um, you know, at a certain time on a certain corner. And this was kind of at an intersection of some of our residential areas downtown. So here's what happened. Mm -hmm. They're serving, they're handing out their chicken salad sandwiches. People are unwrapping them and eating them. The wrappers just go on the street because one of the things Columbia doesn't have are trash cans downtown. Yeah. The other thing they don't have are public toilets downtown. So then what was happening, disgusting as it sounds, is, you know, when you eat, you got to poop. Mm-hmm. And so people were eating these sandwiches. And then a couple of hours later, maybe after it got dark, going and pooping on the porch of a resident in downtown Columbia. Well, residents get mad about that, right? Yeah. The other thing that happens is if you are setting up on a certain corner of town and uh, that's say, you know, four or five blocks from transitions, people from transitions know you're handing out sandwiches and they're going to go where the food is. And even... 20 people, 20 homeless people walking through town, crossing the lights, crossing, crossing the streets, that many homeless people on the move can look like 150 to people mm-hmm. that are watching it. Mm-hmm. And then they get nervous. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I didn't realize it was this bad. And so we, by trying to be people of goodwill and coming up with these great ideas on our own, we are actually causing problems. Yeah, I can tell you, you know, as staff at Transitions, we try to tell people like certain congregations that we're doing that stuff, this really isn't needed and it's really not helping. Mm -hmm. Here's what, you know, why don't you just support what already is working? Right. And I think congregations though, just like people, um, want to be able to feel good about themselves Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. congregations. I mean, I swear, I think sometimes they do stuff. Yeah. Because they want to help, but also because it'll sound really good. Yeah. It'll sound good. It'll sound good in the newsletter. 
you know, pictures of everybody in matching t-shirts and plastic gloves, making PB and J sandwiches looks good in a, right. in a slideshow at the end of the year. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound cynical or, or like shooting those things down. They're necessary, but you're right. I mean, if you're going to want to, if you, if you want to help a certain population, you have to talk to that population. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just assume um, what their problems are. I mean, we have a huge shortage of feminine products, mm-hmm. you know, homeless women get their period. Right. And with how expensive those products are with the pink tax and all those different things, they're not going to go buy a $10 box of tampons when they need to feed themselves or their children. And so, you know, drop off a a box of pads and tampons to your local shelter, you know, Mm -hmm. drop off condoms, homeless people have sex and need to be Mm -hmm. protected. Um, you know, I mean, I think, and I mean, you, you and dad for your, your big 65th birthday party collected socks. I mean, Mm -hmm. socks are like, especially in the winter time. And I mean, we're winter time in Southeastern Tennessee, it gets cold, but we're not New York or Chicago, but that's all people ever ask for. Do you have any socks? Do you have socks? Yeah. In our, in our birthday party, um, people did bring socks as gifts for mm-hmm. transitions and we collected 467 pairs of socks. That's awesome. I wanted I to, I want, so, I was, I was trying you, to everybody. Yeah. Big thank you to all those folks. I, um, I was trying to sneak some into my bag to take to, uh, my folks in Chattanooga. Cause we need those oh, too. Oh, you could have. Um, <laughs> yeah, Maybe I know. No, I didn't. Cause I never got a, a, never got an answer to my question, but it was, uh, I just decided to, that we would get socks. Mm-hmm. And I think something too, just to kind of, I don't know how it necessarily is in every city, but I will say, um, as outreach here in Chattanooga for the city government, um, all of the things we hand out to people mm-hmm. are donations. And, you know, I think a lot of folks might see, an organization or even a government-based entity doing work and just say, oh, well, they're probably fine. But we, we rely on people donating soap and toothbrushes and toothpaste mm-hmm. and all these things. We have some connections, you know, to places um, where we can get what we need, but, you know, we have an Amazon wish list that we pass around and people can order stuff and it'll come directly to mm-hmm. us. Um, you will never get turned away if you bring camping supplies, toilet paper, or any kind of, you know, um, hygiene product to a shelter. They will never mm-hmm. say no. What tarps. shelters, tarps, all, ropes, all those things. What shelters don't need is your housewares, mm-hmm. um, you know, ripped up bedding. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks just think, oh, well, I'm giving it to someone you know, so it's going to benefit someone. And And you know what those places are doing? They're throwing it away because it's throwing it away. Nasty. Exactly. I mean, give some crap, really terrible stuff. I mean, I mean, I went through our warehouse a few months ago and we had no use for housewares. Our folks, you know, don't have houses, don't have houses. And so <laughs> I was throwing away some really bizarre stuff. I mean, somebody dropped off a box of Christmas decorations. It's like, what, what are we going to do with this? And so just kind of keep that in mind, everyone. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I will share. So um, with as much experience as you do have, you know, working with the homeless community, it, it was in a certain uh, way, 
in a certain way. Um, it was very interesting to, to be able to take you out on outreach um, with me when you came to visit. I was still relatively new to the job. Um, I've been working there since October and the turnover is so high. In this was positions. in January that I was there. And you were in January. Yeah. So I'd only been there for a few months. And um, I mean, the, the turnover is so quick. Our most decorated veteran in our department right now has been with them for a year and a half. Hmm. And that's, that's like a lifetime for right. an outreach worker. Cause it's, it's very emotionally taxing. Um, it's frustrating. You don't get a lot of wins in outreach. Um, and you, about, you are tell about the, um, tell about the physical requirements that you had in your interview that they talked to. You oh about. yeah. Yeah. So we had to do, um, we had to prove that we could lift 50 pounds. We had to prove that we could crawl on our hands and knees a certain length. I think it was like 20, 25 feet. Um, yeah, I had a, I had like a physical therapy component to my interview. Like I'd already gotten the job, but it was contingent on me passing this physical exam. So like I had to do the stair stepper for a certain amount of time. I had to lift certain weights and carry them around. Um, I had to crawl. And I think honestly, the hardest thing, and this was like before I started really like, you know, kind of getting back in shape after two years of misery. Um, I had, you had to like get down on the ground and stand straight up like 10 times without doing the whole, like roll to your side and like push yourself mm -hmm. up thing. Um, that was for sure the hardest one, but yeah. And, and you realize really quickly why, you know, that's necessary. Um, you know, when we go down under bridges or overpasses, you know, those, those concrete slopes are steep. I mean, there's times when you feel like you're Spider-Man, you're just walking straight up it, um, you know, going through wooded patches, crawling over all through railroad tracks. Um, I know a couple of outreach workers that were working on Friday. So yesterday um, had to crawl into a cave to see if somebody mm -hmm. was living in there mm -hmm. and someone had been. Um, you know, we, we typically get these calls of like, we think there's homeless people here. Can you go check? Um, and so we, we do a lot of, um, searching, which involves a good amount of hiking. I definitely hit my steps every day. I, uh, I do outreach, but yeah, we actually, you and I were sent out on one of those, um, seek mission, seek and find missions when you were there. And so it was, um, an area along some railroad tracks and it was a, a part of the tracks where it went from one track and split into three and, you know, kind of in between these prongs of tracks were these wooded strips. And we basically had to go figure out if people were living back there. And one so, of the reasons was because there were also canals back there. And mm -hmm. I remember your supervisor talking about, you know, wherever there's water, you're going to find people. Probably. Yeah. Wherever the water, water and resources are always, you know, water resources and camouflage, mm -hmm. um, are typically. So, um, yeah, we see, we find, a, um, and then, and then there's also people that don't want to be seen at all and they're willing to go a long way for their resources and they really know how to hide. Um, and we typically don't pursue them too hard, uh, because it's one of those things where if you're working that hard not to be found, you don't, you don't want to be found. Um, and we respect that. So, 
Um, but yeah, so we went out and it was, yeah, so it was train tracks, a canal kind of checked two of the boxes for sure. And it was off a main road where there was a good amount of things. Um, a lot of trash everywhere, burned out camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, a lot, the way they dispose of their trash is burning it nine times out of 10. Um, you know, one of my, I understand why, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when people complain about the trash at camps and how bad it looks. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I'm like, if you didn't have a city truck coming by your house once a week, you, it, your, your front yard would get pretty gross, you know? And so again, be a part of the solution, not the problem. Push your city council person to provide dumpsters at popular campsites, dumpsters and porta potties. Yeah. 95%. <laughs> I know, but that's, that's a temporary solution. And so it's one of those things where, you know, it actually cuts down on most of the things that people are bothered by when they, when they drive by a homeless camp, except then Um, they feel like they're encouraging it. You know, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole conflict. I mean, I have quite a few expletives going through my mind at the moment. Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm, you know, we're in such a housing crisis right now right? that there is literally nowhere to put people. So at this point it's, it's DEFCON five, like, so you're not encouraging folks to live outside. You're making it more bearable for people to live outside Mm -hmm. because our society has given them no other option. That's something too, that I could, I could go on a very long tangent about, about hearing people say, well, they choose to live outside. There's a really, really big difference between coming to terms with your situation and accepting what it is and just trying to survive and making a choice anyway. So yeah, I could get real fired up about that, but we're going to talk about this railroad track adventure that we had. Yes. Talk Um, about it. So (laughs) we were sent out to go check out this area and um, we parked kind of down by the road where the tracks kind of went over the, went um, over the road and walked down. And sure enough, there were a couple camps And, um, you know, I will say one of the skills I developed, uh, in this job is how to walk on railroad ties really easily and quickly. It's actually trickier than you'd think. Cause they're like way too close together, <laughs> but also like trying to skip every other one. It's a lot. And the gravel on railroad tracks is very big. It's not really, it's, very gra- intense. It's, 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 it's rocks and there's, there's very steep, um, very steep drop-offs on either side. And so I dragged you back there and we talked to a few folks and, and kind of got the, got the idea. And we had crossed the tracks from where the car was. And as we were talking to this one group of people, a train came through um, and blocked our way to get partially, to the car. It partially came through. <laughs> it partially came through. So it was far enough where, we could not get to the car without um, walking a good bit. Uh, and so we ended up, after we chatted with folks, walking on the opposite side of the car. And we got to the road and like that's where the conductor was. He was in like this car in between a bunch of other cars. And he said, um, he said, Oh, don't, don't worry. We're, we're going to move here soon. And I'm like, perfect. Like, thank God, you know, they're going to move and, and we're going to be able to get to these folks because we still had to hand out supplies. Cause we, 
you know, a lot of times we investigate, figure out how many people are at a camp and then we go back to our vehicle and we get the hygiene bags that we need. And, you know, if anyone requested a sleeping bag or tent, and if we happen to have it, you know, we'll take it out, but. Oh, oh, but the part that you are missing is so the train blocks our path. We think it's going to go ahead and get off the track and we'll be fine. No, it just goes far enough to block our, our way to our car. And then all of a sudden I see this, this little guy come and he climbs over the connectors between these two freight trains, uh, cars. And at first I thought he was somebody who was working with the railroad. And then I realized, no, he was a homeless guy who was over in the other camp going through the train and over there. And you kind of look at me like, we could do that too. <laughs> and I said, no, you can't. And then, okay. you look, and then you look underneath the freight train car and you look at me like we could crawl under the train. <laughs> okay, so and first of like, all, those things no. never came out of my mouth. And I, you just, you could read my mind and you could tell my wheels were turning. And so before I could even say anything, you said, we're not doing that. Because we're not going to be on the news tonight. And, and, and to be fair, um, my job, the job with the city does not allow us to do that. So we don't, but I I was thinking like we could have, well, I was thinking to myself, if this train's going to be here for an hour, Mm-hmm. we're going to have to fit. We're going to have to like, you know, desperate times, but I wasn't, that wasn't going to be my first, <laughs> my first plan. Well, so we get to that. We get back to the road and we're looking through the gap in the cars, uh, the train cars at the vehicle, the city vehicle that we were driving. And, you know, the conductor guy is like, Oh, we're going to move in a second. And I'm thinking the whole train is going to move. Like, it's just going to like move on out. No, no, it splits. And so from the road to the camp is still completely blocked and we still had to take stuff to camps on either side of the train, but thankfully the other part backed up and we could get to the car, but then we had to like get the stuff from the car, walk down on the left side of the train, drop the stuff off, go back to the car, get more stuff, go around the train to the right side and then come back around. I mean, we probably easily covered like we probably both got like 5,000 steps just in that one stop. Well, and, I, and I, I've got to say, I have never been so close to a freight train in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> They're big. They're, They're big. big. And you're right. The gravel is huge on those. Gravel things. is huge. Yeah. But, you know, what I, what I saw was something that I really, you know, you had seen before, but I really had not. And that was just, um, you know, several, several families, if you will, or groups of people, households Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, camped out together by just a muddy little canal, lots of garbage everywhere. Um, But, you know, people had just created these homes for themselves out of tarps and tents Mm -hmm. and cardboard and anything else that they could. They, they had pets, Mm -hmm. um, and I remember you going down to that, down that first embankment and uh, it was early in the morning. Um, and I thought, you know, this is dangerous, you know, who, who knows what's going on down here, but mm-hmm. you just, you said, you know, mom, you just stay up here and I'll go down there. And, you know, I saw you, you know, go down the hill. And then I heard you going, good morning. 
good morning. Is anybody there? And then I heard this little voice coming out of the tent. Yeah, yeah, we're here. <laughs> then, you know, you identified yourself as being from the city and um, asked, you know, what kinds of things they needed. And, you know, everybody was really very, very grateful. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I de- like, and I, I definitely don't like incur, cause I do get asked a lot. Well, what, you know, by people like, well, what can I do? Like, can, should I go out to the camps and bring stuff? And it's like, no, um, it's one of those things where we do a lot of work at relationship building. Um, the city has had this department for over five years now. And so when we say, you know, we're with, we're, we're outreach with the city, um, there's a certain level of expectations. And, um, and so, you know, I, you do see private citizens sometimes kind of going to camps and dropping stuff off. And, you know, I think, I think the people's hearts are in the right place, but there, there is a certain risk. You know, I, I do, uh, something I say all the time is, is, is desperation makes people do crazy things. Um, and, you know, there, but there are very few camps that, you know, we feel uncomfortable going into and grant, we always go in pairs, which is, which is huge. Um, sometimes if it's a, if it's a small gap, you know, one person will go, but you're always within the eye line of your partner. Um, and definitely never, ever out of earshot. Right. And, you know, when you've done the work for at least a few months, you start to see the same people, um, Mm -hmm. you know, over and over again. And so, you know, there's, there's one camp where the dog knows our voice, like knows Mm -hmm. our voices. And so we'll go out and we're like, Hey, it's outreach and little, the dog will just come like bounding out of the trees. And then her, you know, human mom will come out later. Like she heard y'all coming, you know, kind of thing. We're also some of the only folks that drive down train tracks or on the side of them, but still. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where it really does come down to like having a relationship with folks and, um, you know, we just, you see a lot of things. I mean, I remember my first week going out and it was the route downtown in downtown Chattanooga. And I could not believe the things that I passed by every day and didn't see. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the way these folks can blend in, you know, with the surrounding area or the way they, they find these places to tuck themselves away. I mean, it's, it's impressive and it's sad. Um, you know, running on certain running paths around town, any town you're in, if you're, you know, running on a certain running path or you're walking around downtown, you're never going to be too far from where someone's going to sleep that night. Um, and so, you know, I just remember you never see your city the same way when you know where people are living outside. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be hard to turn off. It, it can be hard not to constantly be looking for camps or signs that someone's, you know, squatting right. somewhere. That's just kind of, that's just kind of part of it. And mm-hmm. one of the other points that, that I thought was important to bring up is if you are, um, if you are a faith-based organization, if you are a congregation and you're thinking about starting some kind of ministry for the working poor or homeless, Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw this happening, um, when I was on Hilton Head Island, 
Um, the congregation that I was a part of decided during the COVID year to start an on-site, we called it a soup kitchen, but it was actually nobody was cooking and handing out mm-hmm. food at that point. So we were preparing bagged lunches on, just on Thursdays and then, you know, had advertised around for people to come. I mean, Hilton Head is a resort island. It's all about the tourism Nobody on that island wants to admit that there are homeless people who live there. And yet it's a perfect place for a homeless person to live Mm -hmm. because there's food all around. There are people of goodwill who, if you go up and you say, hey, I need, um, you know, I need a hundred dollars because I'm going to get kicked out of this hotel that I've been staying in and people feel bad and they feel guilty that they are spending thousands and thousands of dollars a night on a hotel. And so they're glad to give it to you. But I felt like one of the mistakes that I made um, as their pastor there, because I should have known better. And that was, I, I totally supported their efforts, you know, and I was really, really glad we were doing it, but we did miss a step. And we missed a step in that we did not sit down first and count the costs and the benefits of doing something like that. Mm. And so whenever you bring something onto your church grounds, onto your campus, Mm -hmm. you basically are saying to, um, to the homeless community, we're friendly, Mm -hmm. you know, we got your back, we'll help you out. And partly that's true, but what started happening, and this should have been something that we anticipated, is that um, back when we were Zooming worship services every Sunday, and there were just a couple of us actually on the campus doing that, Mm -hmm. you know, there would be this, you know, same homeless woman who would be waiting for me when I, when I left the fellowship hall or the sanctuary, because she, knew that we were there. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I had to deal with her and she was always asking for more. She always wanted money to stay in a hotel and that kind of stuff. And then we had our little, um, we called it our little free pantry. So that was something new. And she was a person as well as a few others that, you know, visited that pantry like three times a day. Mm-hmm. And then if she would also watch for people who were coming to fill it up and then go up to them and ask for money. Mm-hmm. And then they felt, so, um, and we also already had a, a preschool running and there's always, you know, we're a licensed preschool. We have to be very um, diligent and careful about who comes around the kids and who doesn't. And so, you know, when the childcare director shows up at 6.30 on Monday morning and there's a homeless guy sleeping on the slide, you know, Mm -hmm. in the playground, you know, he or she's got to figure out what am I going to do here before the parents start showing up? I mean, Mm -hmm. so... um, And I think here again, we should have um, gathered with people like, you know, maybe some folks from the sheriff's department or other people who had more experience in 
um, providing good services to the homeless to say, what is it that we need to know? What might, what might we anticipate? Mm-hmm. And some of it we could have anticipated. Okay, y'all, you know, they're not going to, you know, folks in need are not just going to come at 12 o'clock on Thursdays. Yeah. This is going to be a go-to place for them now. And mm-hmm. how will we deal with it if people come up to us while we're load, while we're putting things in the little food pantry or what have you, how are we going to deal with that? And mm-hmm. I felt like I kind of let them down by not anticipating some of that. And I should have. Um, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it, mm-hmm. but to keep folks from being taken advantage of and say, all right, what will our, um, what will our parish administrator do if she is here by herself and folks come to the door and start asking her for money or start asking if the church has money, what's mm-hmm. our agreed upon response going to be, you know, so yeah. that there was kind of a plan. There has to be planning. There has to be boundary setting. But I also think there's there's two bigger kind of systematic issues at play. One, we have to do better about communicating what different resources, different organizations can bring. So, mm-hmm. you know, at Trinity, we might be able to give somebody, you know, a box of canned food and, you know, maybe put them in a hotel for a night. But then after that, you know, what's next? You know, where can we they kind of start from, from ground zero, but what if we knew of a hotline we could call or a book we could check in with where, you know, we could say, so we're, our resources are tapped out. Um, Mm -hmm. but here's where you can go next because a lot of times the calls that you get or the folks that come up to your building, they have called every church in the phone book or every church that they've Googled. They have tapped, they've done, and they, they, you, you, you see folks sometimes just going through the cycle, right? So they might disappear for two months because they found help with other organizations, but then they're going to loop back to you eventually. They will. And so I think each individual, let's say like island of resources, where whether it's a church or a government organization or, or a nonprofit, um, needs to make themselves known of what their resources are and what their boundaries are. Um, and I, I think also, so that's kind of thing number one. And and there's a great organization in Nashville called open table Nashville. Um, and one of their, um, uh, creators who's now a co-director, she wrote a book called praying with our feet. And it's all about faith-based organizing, um, in terms of homeless outreach and homeless services. And it's a great read, um, definitely recommend it, but you know, they have a pretty incredible system where they are a faith-based nonprofit, but they are that hub of the wheel for resources in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So if a church has, cause that's the thing too, is a lot of times your option is destroying the relationship you have with that person by saying, get off the property you know, we can't have you here or you have to call the cops to do it for you. I know. I've done all that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's just not, those are terrible options, both of them, Mm -hmm. you know, unless someone is legitimately getting violent, there shouldn't, you shouldn't have to call the cops. And, and I do have to say, you know, um, I'm always, I'm wary of calling the, you know, here I am a middle-class white woman pastor. I'm wary to call the cops on a homeless person because 
there's this automatic assumption that they're doing something wrong when mm-hmm. really it's this kind of peacekeeper job aspect of their job that they that the police forces have like can you just transport this guy down to the 11th street shelter like mm-hmm. can you just do that um and a lot of times they'll say no yeah a lot of times they just can't um and so you know so there's you know there needs to be some middle middle person middle middle ground organization where you know a church or a smaller organization that has, you know, is living in multiple worlds where you're going to have the folks that want to empty their pockets for this person and say, pastors mm-hmm. or anything else we can do. And then there's going to be people that are like, he's spitting on our sidewalk. He needs to go, I know, you know, and you have to pastor both of those people while also pastoring for this homeless person. And it is, it is a, and I am like currently living this experience, it tears you to pieces. Like, you know, and then you, you, you end up preaching every Sunday, Jesus was a homeless black man. Can we, (laughs) can we please wrap our minds around that? I mean, think about even the gospel reading this week for us, Jesus sending his disciples out by in twos, Mm -hmm. take, take one staff, one tunic and your sandals. That's, That's all live off the hospitality and goodwill of others. If they are not receptive, you move on. Move on. And that's what and, they do. <laughs> and that is what our homeless population does. They move on. And so, you know, back to kind of systematic issue. Number two, the intensity at which these folks glob onto a building or a person that's taking the care of them is indicative of how poorly they've been treated other places. Hmm. They're only going to come back to places where they feel safe or they feel like they get a resource. And of course they're going to turn your inch into a mile because they're hungry. Because who, because who wouldn't, I wouldn't, who wouldn't, I mean, I, you know, I, I push those boundaries all the time. I'm like, Hey mom and dad, you gave me 20 bucks last week. (laughs) For this one thing, can I maybe have 40 bucks this week? For this and I'm, thing. and I'm 34 years old making a decent living. Like, you know, it, it's, and it's just one of those things where you do have to, you do have to walk this line. Like, you know, one, our guy who's living in at our church property the other day, you know, we make, we'll make coffee, right. Whenever myself and my administrator are in the office and, and Roderick, my guy, my guy who's living outside, um, on the, on the front stoop, he said, can I get a cup of coffee? And I said, sure. Let me see what we have in the pot. And he goes, can you, can you make it stronger than you've been making it? And And I was, are you serious? I was like, Roderick, I basically said, I'm going to give you what we have because that's what I'm drinking too. Do I wish it was stronger? You bet. I wish it was stronger, but I'm going to drink it anyway. And so I literally (laughs) just said, if you want a cup of coffee, I'm going to give you the coffee that we have, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but it is, I mean, it is one of those things where, you know, our insurance does not allow us to have quote tenants. And if he's spending the night there and we tell him it's okay, like we literally cannot say the words you can't stay here right? because, because then we lose our insurance. So so there's larger systematic issue number 150,000 that we are tied to these insurance agencies that 
are so distrustful of people that live on the street that they have created. I mean, talk about high barriers. Churches should be the lowest barrier resource on the planet, but they end up being the highest barrier. And they kind of, and, and a lot of these folks kind of assume that we will be low barrier places. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, they'll use, they'll use Jesus to encourage you and to guilt you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, you know, when, when somebody asks us for basic needs like that, and we feel like we can't say yes, mm-hmm. then we realize how institutional we are big time. And that is, um, you know, can be so discouraging and so soul crushing. We yeah. have so many different things that we have to manage. I mean, you're like, there's part of me that says, if you've got a preschool, on your property, you probably can't also do a soup kitchen for the homeless, mm-hmm. you know, because those two are going to have a lot of trouble going together, just optics alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's, I'm, I guess, you know, partly we're saying a couple of things. One is to really think through with a really, with the biggest heart that you can, um, what you can do, what you probably can't do. But for me, the biggest thing is do things in partnership with others. Don't try mm-hmm. to don't try to go it alone. I know in Colombia we've struggled with doing what you were talking about, Elise, with having kind of a, a central location. You know, I mean, I would just back in the day, I would just pray for somebody who knew where all the resources were. So when yeah. that guy showed up, you know, a homeless person shows up at my door at two in the afternoon. Because one of the things that they do is they kind of think you as a pastor and you as a church have all kinds of resources and know something about everything. Mm-hmm. They think you know something about how to get a job and, and how to do that. They think you know about housing mm-hmm. um, and it just, you know, and healthcare and, and all of these things. And we don't, mm-hmm. and, but they're asking you to be their advocate. Um, mm-hmm. Are there some people who are working you as a part of the system that they're working? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are. And I, every time I kind of gripe internally about that, I say, and if I was on the street, I would be doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to survive. Um, but let me just share. Um, I'd like to share just two examples very quickly to kind of put the voice of homeless people into it. Cause I feel like we've been, because it's just you and me, We've been talking about them, but we haven't been talking with them. And Mm -hmm. uh, two stories. One is that a few years ago, I asked the CEO at Transitions, it was getting close to Christmas time. And I had a feeling that nobody was doing any kind of like Christmas Eve service or anything at Transitions. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they weren't. (laughs) Yeah. I said, uh, hey, would you would you be okay if I just did a very simple Christmas Eve service? Um, I said, you know, kind of candle lighting. And he goes, we can't have candles. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm sure we can't. Uh, no, I was going to use the little battery operated tea lights. Which I, I remember can- I was there with you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So remember... Um, uh, of course, you can't, you know, require anybody to come, you know, mm-hmm. some faith-based 
homeless shelters will do that. You have to come to this Bible study to stay here. And I hate that. You have to come to this worship service and all of that, but that's, that's not who we are. Talk and about so, manipulation. First of all, right. Just going to, I'm just going to say that well, I could, yeah. I could go off, but I know the story you're trying to tell and it's beautiful. Right. So I'm not yeah, going to cut yeah. in anymore, but. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know who was going to show up for this service, if anybody, cause you can't require them to come. So this mm-hmm. was just kind of a big shout out in the day room that there was going to be this um, Christmas Eve service in kind of this little chapel area. Mm-hmm. And so which we had to like completely set up. Yeah, like it, it had been a little chapel area, but it was oh, very clear. And, and it's it digress. You saw it too. <laughs> it was very but, clearly a large storage room. <laughs> it was now, but originally it was a Salvation Army chapel, which was quite nice, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. But um, so we stood at the door, you know, after it was announced that the service was going to happen and um, just waited to see who would come our way. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of people started, you know, rolling themselves in their wheelchairs. There were some veterans who had lost one or two legs who came. And um, slowly but surely, I would say we had about 12 people, maybe. Yeah, I think we got to 12. Yeah. And um, so we had a little tea lights. And when we got to the prayer time, I said, you know, um, what do you all want to pray for today? And at first it was pretty silent because they're not used to being asked that question. Mm-mm. At first it was silent. And then one of the men in a wheelchair said, well, I think we should pray for, um, for people who are worse off than we are because we're really lucky to be here in this place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have found that to be true of those folks a lot. Um, they're glad for the resources that they have and they are very well aware of people who are living outside and don't have, you know, much to, to eat or drink sometimes because they don't want to. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've, I've known some homeless people who because of their mental illness think that all food that's given to them is laced with poison and they can tell you exactly what that poison smells like. They mm-hmm. can describe it. And so you may hand them a wonderful cheeseburger that's just been made and a soft drink and they want to eat it so badly, but all of a sudden they're convinced they smell poison on it. Yeah. And so, you know, there can just be all sorts of reasons, just thousands and thousands of reasons why people are in the condition they are. Mm -hmm. And the last little story I'll tell is that when I was at Transitions this week, I went that same little chapel room, which is even more cluttered than ever, also has been turned into a bit of an art room by people Mm -hmm. who want to paint and so forth. And so um, sure enough, there were three people uh, painting and drawing when I went in there. And this one guy, Russell, was just finishing up a painting that he did. And I actually... Um, ask him if I could take a picture of it and use it. And he said, yes, I could. And so I put it on my, um, my blog post yesterday and um, which you can find at my pocket preacher. But um, so I, you know, when I first looked at it, I thought, Oh, it's a nice little picture of flowers and some houses. And there was, is a road 
that he had dividing kind of a wilderness area from what he considered to be civilization because it mm -hmm. had a couple of houses on it. And so I was talking to him about his painting and he said, um, do you see how the flowers are different on one side of the road and the other? Mm. And so then I looked at it again and I saw that on the, the wilderness side, if you will, um, just kind of the, the natural side, there were just all sorts of flowers, all different colors, all mixed up together, just like, you know, a meadow grows, right? And then on the, on the other side of the road that he said represented civilization, mm -hmm. the flowers were all grouped by color. Mm. So on one side of a house, there were flowers that were only red, only the red flowers could be there. And then further down, all of the flowers were blue. And, um, and so I was just kind of like, so what does, you know, what does that mean, you know, to you? <laughs> what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you see how, you know, on the one side, they're all mixed together and the other side, they're divided up. He said, that's what civilization does. Wow. Yeah. End of lecture, you know, and I was right. You know, yeah. So I've been thinking about that ever since about ways mm -hmm. in which we do that um, and why, you know, why yeah. we do it, you know, because we yeah. love sameness <laughs> and mm -hmm. it feels more safe to us. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and when you're homeless and, and you're covering so much ground, you know, in your community, you're going to see, you're going to see the way people divide themselves, you know, better, better than anyone. I mean, a homeless person in your community knows far more about, about your community, than about you your do. community than you do. Yeah. Right. I mean, you should you really know, interview them and talk to them. Yeah. I mean, tell me what if, I need to know about this town. Yeah. Or if anything, I mean, the amount of times I hear from folks we see on outreach or anything the the amount of times I hear from them say like, people don't even look at me, right. you know, when they're, when they're, you know, whether they're on public transit or, you know, they're, they're sitting on their corner and, or whatever, the amount of folks that just walk by. And I mean, and, and I've done this before, you know, where it's just kind of like, don't make eye contact. I can't, can't get engaged right now. can't get engaged. Or like I, you know, I'm out running and I'm like, all I have on me is my house key, you know, kind of thing, but not all of them are going to ask you for money. Not all of them are going to, you know, chat your ear off. A lot of times just some eye contact and a head nod or like, Hey, how's it going? Right. They're, they're a human being. They're, it's, they're human beings. I mean, if, if you're going to, if you're going to nod at the nice neighbor who's walking their dog, you know, and, and you pet the dog and say, Hey, you know, you can also say hi to the guy playing his guitar on the bridge for enough money to buy a burger. Right. You know, I mean, it's, you know, that's just something. Well, and, um, and um, you know, one of the myths out there is that homeless people are dangerous, um, mm -hmm. but actually they're usually the victims of crime, not the perpetrators of crime. Yeah. Um, you know, something, something happened to them that put them in that position, whether it was addiction that they couldn't get a handle on, um, it could have been they were escaping a, a violent relationship um, mm -hmm. and that person has control of the money. And so, you know, they're living on the street instead of living mm -hmm. with someone that's abusing them. 
Um, well, and more and more young people we're discovering are being um, who are um, gay and lesbian are being kicked out of their homes because yeah. they come out to their parents. So that is such a huge issue that, you know, we see is the amount of LGBTQ folks um, that are homeless because their family has completely um, neglected them and, and kicked mm-hmm. them out. I mean, it's 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 tragic. I mean, it's, it's a crime against humanity in, in so many ways to have this many people living on the street. Um, and, you know, I would say, so like, you know, just through some of my experiences, I get, I get asked a lot, well, what can we do? You know, if we can't, if we, you know, if we can't afford to put someone in a hotel or this and that, I would say first things first is contact your city government find out who your city councilor is and ask if your city has a homeless services department. If they don't ask why, if they do get the phone number, almost every homeless services department will have some kind of general phone number that usually goes to a voicemail, but I bet you that at least one person is checking it every day. And you can say to somebody, we can't help you out today, but here's this number you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you can find a phone or use whatever phone you have, give them a call they can point you in the right direction. You know, you can always figure out what the resources are and just keep a list in your, in your wallet, keep a mm-hmm. list of, of organizations with numbers. Um, you know, even calling, uh, the non-emergency number for your police department, I had to do that with a homeless guy that I saw when I was just off hours. I was going to the dog park with Iggy and saw a guy pass out on the sidewalk and stopped. And he was completely drunk in the middle of the day and like was, was blackout drunk. And so I just called the police station and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm standing here with this guy. Is there a patrol car nearby who might be able to come and, and, you know, take him to the drunk tank for him to sleep it off or something. And they ended up having to, you know, buzz the ambulance because he was too drunk. They needed to take him and give him fluids and whatever, but you know, he didn't get charged or anything. They took him to the hospital. He sobered up, they gave him fluids and they released him, you know? And so that's always an option. Um, but you know, you have to be really clear sometimes with, with, with the police force in, you know, I, I am not, I do not fear for my safety in this situation. I just need to try to see if they can get some kind of assistance. And, you know, if there's no, if there's nothing major going on in that area, usually the police can transport somebody somebody to the shelter. The the cops at least should know where a shelter is. Most Mm -hmm. of them do. Well, you know, the thing, the thing I'll say is uh, as we, you know, get ready to sign off and this is where, you know, the generations are definitely wise. I think, you know, we probably need to take one more swig. That's number five, people. That's number five. All right. Mm-hmm. I have another swig of my Gatorade. Um, <laughs> but is um, when you engage in this kind of ministry, um, if it's in a big way or a small way, small way could be I answer the door today, um, mm-hmm. even though I know that it, you know, nobody who's a member of our congregation out there, what have you. Some people choose never to answer the door mm-hmm. and never to help. And that's, you know, that's part of their, that's part of their policy. Um, but when you do, you will have your day interrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be prepared for that. And, you know, you can, 
you definitely want to do the things that Elise said, like know where your resources are. Um, I have done that. I still do that. But very often a person will say to you when you say, oh, you need that. Well, um, the Salvation Army does that. And yeah, I've called them. I, yeah, I call them and they said they can't help me. Now, so, so now what are you going to do? So you now can- you call them. <laughs> And now you call them, Hey, I'm standing with this person. (laughs) And then they say, yeah, we know that guy was here an hour ago and um, he's a known drug user and we don't give blah, blah, blah to people who are known drug users. You know, I mean, yeah. Or sometimes you go in so many different directions. Or yeah, send them our way. And then they look at you and they say, I don't have a way to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. it can be sort of one thing after the other. And so you do have to kind of say to yourself, how much can I do? Um, I can't always do 100% for everybody like I'd like to, but I feel like if I give a good referral um, and say, yeah, Salvation Army, these guys are waiting for you. They say they have what they need. If you take, here's, here's the bus fare. Um, if you take the bus, which pulls up right outside of our church, they'll probably be there in about 15 minutes. It'll mm-hmm. work. That doesn't mean yeah. they're going to, that might just take your bus fare and go somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. because a lot of people out there are dealing with substance abuse and mental illness, and that takes people's minds and their ability to make good decisions in bad ways. Yeah. And- can't be responsible for all that. Um, I had a seminary professor who said, you know, we just err on the side of grace. Right. So I do somewhat anticipate that when and if I get to heaven, God's going to say, I can't believe how much of the church's money you gave to purchase alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because when people say, you know, I really need baby diapers, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. okay, here you go. I don't have a pantry full of baby diapers, but they cost about this much. And here you go. And, you know, maybe they use the money and, and, you know, buy some whiskey instead. But I, you know, but the thing is, I'm just determined not to let the folks who abuse the system um, shut it down for everybody who needs it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, if I give five or 10 bucks to somebody, that's not going to break the bank for me. So once I've given them that money, I'm also giving them the decision making abilities to what they want to use that money for. And I think no longer your money, you've given my money. And I think, I think more folks use it for what they say they're going to use it for than, than we think, you know, there's always that, well, I'm not going to give them money to go buy booze. And it's like, well, you would be surprised at how accessible drugs and alcohol are for the homeless. So usually when they say I need five bucks for the bus or I need 10 bucks to go get food, that's probably what they actually are going to use it for. Um, and yeah, there's going to be people that use it to buy drugs or alcohol. But at that point, I that's your money to do what you want to do with mm-hmm. it. And if that's how you get through to the next day, that's how you get through to the next day. I mean, and, and, you know. and, and the next day is, is significant because, um, 
the other thing, I feel like I've actually just learned it in this past year, you know, maybe sometimes the pieces finally come together for you. Mm-hmm. But I've realized that um, when you're in that kind of, when you're a person who's homeless and you're in that kind of situation, you don't do long range thinking. Mm-mm. You really are just trying to get through today. So when I say to somebody, hey, buddy, if I give you, you know, $75 to spend the night in the Red Roof Inn, you're just going to be right back in the same position tomorrow. Then what are you going to mm-hmm. do? And they're like, I, I don't know. I just, I just want to have it for today. Yeah. And so all they're trying to do here again, they're just trying to stay alive. And in the ways that they know how, and you hope that you can, that they can get moved to a place where that's the benefit of being in a shelter is that they, they help you see long range and say, how can we get you to where you want to be, you know, to have a job or to have a home, to have more stability than you do now. Um, instead of the, the tough thing about the kind of folks that Elise is working with in outreach is that they are kind of day-to-day people. I mean, they've worked out a way to live day-to-day, but they don't mm-hmm. have long-range plans. Um, just trying to live for today. And if you just understand that that's their goal, that's, and you can't, you know, a lot of times we can't imagine it because that's not our goal. You know, we wouldn't want our, you know, teenagers or our young adult children to live that way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people do, and that's all they can do. And yeah, so that, that, gotta that, stop I, being, that idea of, uh, that idea of living for today isn't quite as romantic as we like to make it sound. No, it's a survival thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're just, um, you know, Jesus said the poor you always have with you. Um, and that gets interpreted in a lot of different ways. I heard one theologian many years ago say that, um, you know, when Jesus said uh, the poor you will always have with you, the subtext of that was kind of like in parentheses, because you do not obey my commandments. Mm hmm. You know, so yeah. we're all, we're all in this together. Um, and um, I just, um, you know, if you, any of you want to talk more about it um, or bounce ideas off of us, you know, email us, we'd be, we'd be glad to, to hear from you and find ways to respond, but please, please cooperate with other agencies and entities in your neighborhood. You don't need to be doing anything alone and if you're doing it doing something alone without seeking anybody's counsel you need to ask yourself why are we doing this are we doing Mm -hmm. it because we really want to help people in the best way possible are we doing it for our own gratification and if you're doing it for your own gratification cut it out now it's not helpful it's not good stewardship do something else yeah amen And I, um, I, I also want to just, you know, emphasize, get involved in legislation, you know, even on a, even on a local level, get involved in the advocacy part. I mean, half the reason we can't house people is because, you know, uh, you know, government subsidized housing is, 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 is dipping low, you know, all of these fancy pants apartments are going up that even middle-class young adults like myself can barely afford, um, 
if you want to fix homelessness, we have to have more homes for people to go Um, into. And a lot of times what stops that from happening is legislation um, or city councils. Um, mm -hmm. So if you tell your city council, I don't want one of those warehouses down, abandoned warehouses downtown to be, you know, $2,000 a month lofts, I would rather they become transitional housing for people. Um, With enough people saying something like that, it'll change some minds and city councils will go in different directions or else your agencies are just spending millions of dollars on hotel rooms and it's a waste of money. So, and maybe um, that's what, maybe that's what your congregation needs to do. Maybe there's plenty of direct service going on and what what your town really needs is somebody to work hard on the advocacy part. And maybe that's you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If people are nervous about direct contact with the homeless population, go get them involved in something where they can wear a suit. You know, I mean, get your lawyers involved in your congregation, get your your lawyers involved, encourage people to write checks. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in some of our mainline Protestant congregations where it's older populations, you're not going to get folks that want to climb under railroad tracks to go meet people. But when you say, Hey, you know, those bad storms that came through and some of us didn't have power for like five hours, well, the homeless communities got washed out because the creek rose so fast. Mm-hmm. So we're in desperate need of tents and tarps. And no, believe it or not, and this actually happened to me, I made that announcement at church one Sunday. And within an hour of me being home that afternoon, I had $700 in donations that I got to take to Walmart the next day and That's bought. So great bought like 12 tents. Um, so we're going to sign off here. Remember to email us, uh, with any topics or comments on things we've talked about already, we're going to get some guests in here soon. Um, and we're going to, you know, get episode five out to you as soon as we can. Um, I do kind of want to just end, uh, it's a bit of a somber note, but I think, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of folks who live on the street, don't necessarily have families or people who remember their names and, and things like that. Um, We've had a, we've had five folks in our homeless community here in Chattanooga um, uh, die in the last couple of weeks, um, and I just I just think it's important to 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 say their name. Um, so if you all would add to your prayer list this week, uh, Amy, Melissa, Richard, Tim, and Brian, I would really appreciate it. We can do um, that. Yeah. So, uh, excuse me. Um, oh my God. Now my dog's barking, but uh, thanks all for listening and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Bye.